Thank you, Bill. Guy in his early 70s using his cell phone as his timer, huh? He's just up to date. There you go. I think I can speak on behalf of the staff to say it's really a privilege to serve here. I've been here since we started back in 2002, and it's really uh, a great experience to, to serve in, in our fellowship, and we thank you for that privilege and the, the way you function as a body. And, um, and one of our greatest privileges is our chance to be able to pray for you each and every week. So let me encourage you to grab your handout from today and just tear this flap off and take a moment and fill out, put some things that we can be in prayer with you about a little later in our service when the offering plates are passed. You can toss those in there and we'll go from there. Um, you know, I really think in our text today, Peter, the Apostle Peter, this is before he was an apostle, but Peter really thought he finally had Jesus backed into a corner where Jesus was going to have to say, that a boy, Peter, you finally get it. You know, he, he really thought he had gotten to a place where Jesus just couldn't teach him anything else. He had finally gotten to the place where, where he had it all together. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus had been teaching a number of things that we go back and we look at it now, and they really refer to it as a a section that deals with the ethics of relationships. But just before Peter's little engagement with Jesus, Jesus has been teaching about what we should do if somebody offends us, a brother, you know, sins against us. You know, they lie to us, cheat, whatever it is, and what do we need to do to restore them? And he's been walking through that journey. And so Peter gets down to the end and he says, you know, as soon as Jesus gets done with that section, he comes up to Jesus and he said, Master, you know, how, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me. And he says seven times. And Peter is really expecting Jesus to say, you got it. You know, just give him a big slap on the back and say, boy, Peter, you're finally getting there. Because the, the, the reigning thought pattern in Jerusalem or in Judaism at that time was that we were responsible, people were responsible to forgive other people up to three times. You see, the the rabbis, the teachers of the law, they, they looked at the book of Amos where over and over again the prophet says, well, for three sins, even four, you know, then he goes on to condemn whatever nation that's related to that. And so the rabbis would look at that and say, well, that means that God forgives up to three times, but after three times God judges, he condemns. And so we are responsible to forgive other people up to three times, but on the fourth time we don't have to forgive them anymore. So Peter comes up to Jesus, and he's, you know, he's kind of getting that Jesus does things just a little bit differently than everybody else, right? He sees things just a little bit different than everybody else. And so he comes up, and he, he doesn't just turn three into six. He says, let's add an extra one for, one for good measure. And Jesus says, you know, he comes up and says, well, you know, if, if, if my brother offends me, my next-door neighbor offends me, if my partner offends me or whatever, forgive him up to seven times? Let's read about Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 18. I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And if you're following along, I'm going to use one of our Bibles that is underneath your chair. You're going to find our text today on page 831. We're going to start with the 21st verse and read down through the end of the chapter. Some of you will be familiar with this parable, but it speaks powerfully to the subject matter that we need to process today is a part of our ongoing series on the power of forgiveness. Now, we've talked about experiencing God's forgiveness. Last week, we've talked about what it means to forgive ourselves. 
And today we're looking at the issue of forgiving others, which is exactly the question that Peter was asking Jesus about. So let's pick it up. Here's Peter's encounter in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him, and that's Jesus, and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And you get this expectant look on Peter's face. Jesus is going to say, yay, way to go, Peter. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is saying we should go home and set up an Excel spreadsheet where we track 490 offenses from one person, and then when we get to 491, we don't have to forgive him any. That's not what he's saying. You know, this is divine arithmetic. Like in Genesis, one plus one equals one when it comes to marriage. One person plus one person equals one person. That's divine arithmetic. In this particular case, this divine arithmetic is 70 times 7 equals infinity, unlimited. There is no end to our need to forgive others, our responsibility to forgive others. So then Jesus breaks into a parable, verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. Again, this is all back before computers and cell phones and text messages and emails, so you had to really kind of give away a lot of responsibility to other people to manage your stuff as you traveled around. And so when he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, not very many of you measure your wealth in talents, right? You know, but that's the monetary measurement they used in the, the days of Jesus was talents, denarii and talents. And, and, to give you an idea of how much money we're talking about here, that um, a talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. Now, a denarii was basically a day's labor wage. You worked for a day, they gave you a denarii, right? And so when you put together 6,000 of those to equal a talent, and now you have 10,000 talents, this guy owed his master 300,000 years of labor. Now, if you want to put that in modern days, this guy owed hundreds of millions of dollars to his master. This was a a massive national debt that this guy owed to his master. Actually, when some of the records they've been able to dig up, there were some years in the area of Jerusalem and Idumea, there was a province of Rome that in the course of a year, it would only produce 600 talents worth of taxes. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. So it's a massive amount of money that Jesus is talking about. And he really expected everybody's draws to, you know, their, their, their jaws just to drop with how much money he was talking about. So this guy comes in and he's called in before his master. And his master says, you know what? We're going to reorganize. You know, we're going to go through some transformation. We're going to re-engineer. So I need you to give an account of what you owe. And he comes out and he owes 10,000 talents. And so since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay back the debt. The, the master knows, you know what, I'm getting pennies on the millions, but I'm going to get what I can. So we're just going to take them, we're going to sell all of his family and all, into slavery, and, we're just, whatever, and I'm going to get back what I can. And at this, the slave fell down before him, face down, and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. You believe that? You know, you know, a guy owes hundreds of millions of dollars, right? He's got nothing. 
Just be patient. I'll pay you back. You know, and the master's thinking, there's no way. But then the master of of that slave had compassion. He released him and forgave him the loan. Wow. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. So this guy, he goes out and he encounters somebody who owes him some money. And it's 100 denarii. That's, you know, like, like um, that's 100 days labor, right? Like five months. For some of you, that's two months labor. But, right, you know, but, but five months, you know, 100 hours of labor. Minimum wage, 10 bucks an hour. This guy owes this guy like eight to $10,000, right? You know, just a reasonable car loan. Just nothing, nothing major. So he goes out and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. And he grabbed him and he starts choking him, right? Before he even asked him a question, saying, pay what you owe. And at this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, saying, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. And they went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and he handed him over to the jailers until he could pay back everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. We come to this topic that almost none of us like. The challenge of forgiving other people who have hurt us. You know, I look around the room and, 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 and every single one of us has people in our background who have hurt us. Maybe it's a harsh word from a parent when you were an adolescent and those words still ring in your ears. You know, it's common today, you know, half of all marriages end in divorce. Almost always there's a lot of baggage that goes with that. Some of you have been in business, in business or work and you've been mistreated by an employer or you've been swindled by an employee or the list can just kind of go on and on or that guy who sold you a car and said it was in perfect shape and it's been nothing but a lemon ever since and the list just kind of goes on and on. We, we have all of this stuff that comes into us and and, and we struggle with this aspect, and we come across the passage like this, and it's not something that we find easy to process. We, we, we read a passage like this, and there is an undeniable claim from God on our lives to be forgiving because we've been forgiven. And it's really hard for us to process. And I want to spend some time talking about forgiving other people today, and to do so from our text and a few other texts I want to bring in for our consideration today. Because, you know, and I want to make a few general comments related to forgiveness and forgiving other people up front. Then I want to speak just a little bit about what forgiving others is and what it isn't. But then I really want us to conclude with why in the world does God actually ask us to forgive other people? Is God's objective just to make our task before him, unbearably hard to do. Is that why God said you got to forgive other people? He just wants to make your life as difficult 
as possible to walk before him. So let's pursue this a little bit. And, and here's the first truth that I want you to see, okay? When we think about forgiveness and being forgiven, these two things are, are inseparably connected biblically. Biblically, when we think about being forgiven and then turn around and being forgiving people, these two things are inseparable in the Scriptures. Now, if you read our text, especially verse 35 here, you might get the idea that in order for me to be forgiven by God, that somehow or another I have to forgive everybody else. And so our salvation, our ability to be forgiven of our sins so that we can actually live in relationship with God and get to go to heaven for eternity, somehow it's dependent upon what I do. And that is not true. You know, salvation, the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ is all about the work of God. You know, he says, we're by grace that you have been saved by faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. We don't have anything to do with it, lest any man should boast, as Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Our salvation is, is not dependent upon us being forgiven. It's all the work of God. But the Scripture still says that when you and I experience the forgiveness of God, it's like us being the slave in this story who owe 10,000 talents. We have this unpayable debt to God, and it's been forgiven in Jesus Christ by what he did on the cross. And when we turn around and relate to other people who owe us just a few hundred denarii, we're supposed to be people who are forgiven. And the, those who have received mercy are supposed to be merciful. And so there is this inseparable connection between forgiveness, being forgiven, and being forgiving. But I will tell you that this is not automatic. Just because we've been forgiven by God and we've experienced new life in Christ through the forgiveness that we experience doesn't mean that you and I walk out the door and, and forgiving other people becomes easy. It doesn't work that way. You know, if that was the truth, then the author of the book of Hebrews wouldn't have to write to the church and say, don't let any root of bitterness spring up. And the root of bitterness is when there's just chronic unforgiveness that sets itself up into anger and negativity and a critical spirit, and it's directed out towards other people, and that manifests itself as bitterness in the body. He said when that takes root inside the body, it can actually defile many people. And I got to tell you, I've known churches through my seasons of working with the denomination and working across New England. There are churches that have been ripped apart by bitterness that just kind of came to season. And it's, it's about stuff that really doesn't matter about what color the carpet is or, you know, or what time of service was going to be on Christmas Eve or whatever. It's just, it's just, it's just nominal stuff. It didn't have anything to do with it. And it rips churches apart because a root of bitterness springs up. And, and, and that, and that indicates to us that being forgiving because we've been forgiven just doesn't happen by itself. It's, it's not an automatic thing. It requires a choice on our part. We're going to talk about that. But here's something I want you to see, that, that if you wanted to really back out the whole Scriptures and look at the biggest thing and say, how can I really tell that God has stepped into my life, my past has been forgiven, because I've experienced the forgiveness of God through my faith in Jesus Christ, how, 
and we can really tell and have certainty about our salvation, the two greatest things to look at are your capacity to love others and how forgiving you are towards others. You know, sometimes we want to look at it and say, well, how often do I go to church? How much do I read my Bible? How much money do I give? Those kinds of things. And say, you know, look at all these things that qualify me as a, as a great Christian kind of idea. I got to tell you, biblically, when you back up the two things that matter most, the two greatest, strongest, clearest indicators about where God fits in our lives and what's happening in our lives and our relationship with God is our capacity to love other people. You know, Jesus said, you know, uh, by this will all men know that you are my disciples as you have loved one for another. He said, you know, and then he talked about, said, when, when we know God in 1 John, verse, uh, 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 7, when we know God, we love other people because to know God is to love other people. And the second aspect beyond love is that of forgiveness. If, if you want to be able to look and say, how spiritually healthy am I? Ask yourself the question, how forgiving are you? How forgiving are you? You know, it, it, certainly going to life group and serving and, you know, being a, coming to worship regularly and giving and trying to share your faith, all those things are wonderful things. God wants those things to be a part of your life. It's part of the way the fruit materializes, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, all that good stuff. But at the core of it is, is we can tell that we've experienced mercy because we're merciful and we're forgiving. But I think that a lot of us have a lot of misconceptions about what forgiveness is. So I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about what forgiveness is not, okay? And before we get to the stuff that I got up on the screen, I want to share on the screen with you, let me just tell you right up front, forgiveness is not just learning how to manage your anger. Forgiveness is not just getting to a place where you can act civil towards somebody else who's hurt you because you've learned anger management. That is not forgiveness, biblically. Not a bad thing, might keep you out of jail, okay? But it's not what we're talking about biblically. Biblically, it's not just you and I learning the skill set so that we can contain our anger and act civilly towards others. I mean, you're going to see that on Wednesday night when they're on the debate stage, right? Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, <laughs> right? They, they've, they're, they're, they know how to manage their anger, and they'll act somewhat civilly to one another. But that's not what the Scripture's talking about. The second thing is that forgiveness is not just our response to those who ask for forgiveness. There's something about biblical forgiveness where we have to take the initiative in forgiving others whether they ask for it or not. You know, the Scripture says that while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative to forgive us, even though we didn't have any interest at all in being forgiven. And there's something about biblical forgiveness that says, I choose to forgive whether they ask for that forgiveness or not. So let's look at a couple of other things that I want you to understand about forgiveness. And here's, here's the first thing, is that forgiveness is not forgetting what's happened. It's not just a matter of forgiving what has happened. You know, first of all, I don't think it's humanly possible to forget, in some cases, what has happened. You, you ever notice that, especially as you get older, Bill was up here today trying to remember names and stuff. When you get older, the things you want to remember, you can't. 
But the stuff that you'd really like to forget, you can't. You, you know, I mean, that's what I'm experiencing as I'm moving through my mid-50s, you know. The stuff I want to remember, I can't. But it, biblically, God's not asking us to forget. He's not. You know, there's actually, there are many times when the Scripture tells us that we need to remember. We need to remember. Because there's ways that we learn from our past. So the Scripture is not asking us to forget That's not what forgiveness is. It's trying to just erase it and press it down so deep so that we never have to deal with it. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, think about the story of Joseph, right? You know, Joseph, uh, if if you're not familiar with the story, it covers the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons born to Jacob, and, and, um, and he, God had given him big dreams, literally big dreams, but Joseph was a big mouth, and he told all of his brothers, and they hated him because of that, right? And, and you know, he was a favorite and all this kind of thing. And, was, you know, when, and when they had the opportunity to get rid of their little brother, they did. They sold him off into slavery, and he found himself in Egypt. Sold into slavery into Potiphar's house. Things got a little bit better, then they got a whole lot worse, and he found himself in prison. Stuck there for years until God brings him out. And... and and when he's talking to his brothers, it's not like he had forgotten. He'd forgiven, but he hadn't forgotten. He said, you, you meant it for harm, but I've come to recognize as I remember that God meant it for good. God's not asking us to forget. He's not. The second thing forgiveness isn't, forgiveness isn't saying that we approve of what the other person did. Now, some of those cases are, are just black and white anyways, right? You know, we have an experience in our church where an individual is attacked in their own home just a violent crime. That's wrong. There's nothing, there's no debate about stuff. But sometimes we get into relationships and we're kind of going back and forth and, you know, are, are they right in their assessment or mine? Was my, my, what I preferred better than theirs and et cetera? And the words are flying and et cetera. And it's not necessarily us having to say, I approve of what you did. It's okay. Or that you were right. That's not what God's asking us to do. Certainly God isn't looking at our sin and saying that was right or that's okay, or I approve of it. That's not what God's asking you to do. It's not somehow another God asking you to say that what the other person did was right. The third thing is that God's not asking you to fully trust the other person again. Now, he's asking you to forgive him or her, but he's not asking you to fully trust them again, at least right away. I think we need, I think biblically there's some mandates for us to be open to growing in trust again, but trust is always the product of time and performance. You know, the performance is you prove yourself trustworthy, and it takes time to show that you actually are trustworthy, and we should, over a series of time, be open to rebuilding trust in people who have let us down or hurt us, but God is not in the process up front in forgiveness asking you to say, I fully trust you again. It's not like if you own your own company, you've got a bookkeeper who steals $200,000 from you, and you forgive them, you turn over the checkbook again to them on Monday morning. That's not what God's asking you to do. Okay, it's not, and it's also not asking you to completely reconcile with the person right away. Now, I think we need to be open to reconciliation, you know, this happens in marriages with people, you know, things go wrong and one person doesn't, do, doesn't hold up their end of the covenant for whatever reasons. And, 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 and I think there's a need for us to be 
open to reconciling as much as it depends upon us. The scripture says we need to be at peace with all men, but it doesn't mean up front, I'm just going to say, that's it. You know, we're reconciled. It's like it did whatever. It's not, that's what God's asking you to do. That's not what, what the expectation of the scripture is. Okay. So we've got those, those things that stay out there for us that when we think about forgiveness, it's not God asking us to forget. It's not asking us to affirm or approve what they've done or to say somehow say that they matter more than us. That's not what God's asking us to do. God's not asking us to trust other people blindly as a result of our forgiveness, nor is he asking us to get into a relationship where we are completely exposed to be heard again. That's not what God's asking us to do. But here is what God's asking us to do when it comes to forgiveness. And these are plenty challenging in and of themselves. The first thing that God's really asking us to do is to make a choice to pardon the actions against us. You know, there's been a little bit of, of, of chatter in the news about how frequently our current president, President Obama, has used the presidential pardon to let people out of jail. They've been accused, tried, convicted, and are serving, but the president in his authority steps in and offers a presidential pardon, and that, that removes act, and they're free to go, and their lives can move forward. God is asking us to pardon their actions, to, to, to not somehow hold them hostage in a jail emotionally inside of our, our lives, but to, to free them. God's asking us to make that choice to pardon their actions. Or another way of saying thing is that God is asking us to decide to cancel their debt against us, Right? to cancel their debt again. What happened in the story that we read the parable, right? The servant comes in, he owes a massive amount of money. You know, I mean, actually one of the imageries that stuck in my mind was Kurt Schilling in his 38, whatever it was, down in Rhode Island, and he owed hundreds of millions, you know, 75 million or something to the state, right, that was backed up. And, and somehow they just fill out some paperwork along the line, and when it's all signed, the debt is gone. He's no longer obligated to pay that anymore, right? Once it's all cleared up and and, and, and God is asking us to cancel the debt these other people have against us. And, and, and with that, what that really means for us is that it, it puts us in a position where, where, where we, we, they don't owe me an apology anymore. I've let it go. I mean, because not everybody owes you a financial debt, right? Sometimes there's, a, there's an emotional debt. There's an impact that went on there, and we, and we choose to release it. And there's, there's no need for that anymore. Now, they may on their end need to confront their behavior, repent, and ask for forgiveness, but there is no need on our part for them to ask for our forgiveness anymore because that debt has been canceled and it's gone. The third thing that God is asking is God is asking us to make a commitment to cease to resent or to have pain based upon what they've done. It was very interesting, just a coincidence, maybe one of those divine coincidences, but we started this series a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about experiencing God's forgiveness as a part of this series on the power of forgiveness. And that day, in a number of papers across our region, there was a story about an event that had taken place in the Amish country. Maybe some of you read that story. We actually have it on our bulletin board uh, down by the kitchen, kitchen um, here in the building. Ten years ago, on that day, 
a young man in his early 20s who lived in that area, armed himself with several weapons, went into an Amish school, at gunpoint forced all the adults and all the male students out of the building, and then he proceeded to kill a number of the girls who were left, and he also injured some others. Some of them were injuries that they never recovered from. And this story that was covered was about the forgiveness, the journey of forgiveness that had been going on in this community. And it's very interesting, you know, the, the father of, the, uh, of the, the young man said to his wife, right after the incident happened, said, we're, we're going to have to move. These people are our neighbors, and they're never going to forgive us for this. But the Amish community got together, and they, they made a choice to forgive. In fact, one of the first expressions of it, when, when the day came to bury this young man because he committed suicide at the end of, 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 of harming the girls, he committed suicide. When the day came for his parents and his family to bury him, the Amish people showed up and created a human fence to keep the media away. In regular times, they come and, and engage with the family. And, and if you read the story, someone will say, we, we've forgiven, but every single day we have to make a choice no longer to resent or to be angry. And, and when you and I look into the face of God, we consider what God's asking us to do, he's asking us to cease feeling that resentment, to cease feeling that pain, to set it aside and to get rid of it. God is, is looking for us to put it away and to put it behind us. The last truth I want you to see is that God is actually asking us and we forgive others to get to a place where we truly, honestly, sincerely long for them to be blessed, for good to come to them, okay? God is looking for us to get to a place where we actually are, where we pray and desire for good for them. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God's asking us to get to a place where we actually wish what's well for those who have hurt us. You know, and it's a, a powerful message. You know, I, it's interesting. I, I quoted, uh, telling you a little bit about the story of Joseph earlier. In chapter 50, the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, right, at this point in time, you know, Joseph's brothers have been down and back a couple of times to, to Egypt. They've figured out who Joseph is. They're, they're, they bring their father and the rest of the family down. They're settled in the land of Goshen. They're living off of the a bounty, if you will, of Egypt underneath Joseph's care, and, and their father dies. So all of the family journeys up to the promised land, and they bury Jacob, and they come back to Egypt. And the brothers are thinking in the back of their head, Dad's gone. Now, this is Joseph's moment. He doesn't have to hold back anymore because Dad's alive. He's finally going to come after us. And Joseph, sensing and knowing their thoughts, says to them, you know, you, you don't have anything to worry about. He said, you meant it for evil, but I know God meant it for good. He says, and I will take care of you and your little ones. God asks us to get to a place where we actually long for the welfare of those who have hurt us. 
it's a, it's a powerful, dangerous place. It's a hard place to go. Not, but it's a hard place to go. So this really kind of leads me to my Why in the world does God ask us to do this? I mean, probably, this is probably the, the biggest relational challenge almost any of us face. It's to, forgiving people, to forgive people who have been close to us, who have deeply hurt us and torn us apart and create, brought tremendous pain. One of the greatest challenges that we face is to forgive them. So why does God ask us to do that? Is God just trying to say, well, let's just see how tough I can make this on? That's not God's desire. I, I, I believe that God is asking us to forgive others so that we ourselves, because it is a blessing that we give to ourselves. So here's a statement I wrote up to kind of conclude our message today. Without forgiveness, this is the reason why God asks us to forgive others is because if we don't forgive, you and I are chained to our past. We're always looking backwards and are defined by what that person said or what that person did or, or what happened, et cetera. And we're looking back and, and we're chained to our past. And God's grace is trying to take us into our future, but we're chained to our past. And God says, forgive so you can be set free from that. The second thing is that it, when you and I don't forgive, we are held in captivity by other people. When you're in a position where you don't forgive somebody else who has hurt you, you're basically saying, I can't feel good. I can't be whole until that somehow or another they pay the price. So your emotions, your wellness, your completeness inside, your joy, peace, hold, all kind of stuff, all of that is dependent upon whether or not they get theirs or not. And so your condition is, is dependent upon what somebody else does or doesn't do, and they're literally, they literally then have control over your own well-being. You're chained. It's held in captivity. That's why this example at the end of chapter 18 where Jesus is saying, you know, that the, the king said, you know, throw him into jail, and, and he's in there, and he's held in jail. He's held in captivity. When you and I don't forgive, we are held in captivity. And the, the people who are our jailers are the people who have hurt us. And Jesus says, let it all go. So that instead of them being held captive and then, you can make yourself a servant of the Most High. And when you and I exercise forgiveness, when God pours his forgiveness into us, and we translate that as the Spirit is always working to do, when we translate that into being forgiven, it releases us from our past. It, 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 will, it destroys the control others have over our, our emotions, and it frees us and releases us into the God-centered future that we are to experience. I'm going to tell you a story related to that and then give you a couple of minutes to process. When I was a young pastor, I, we came out of seminary, came back, planted a church on the South Shore, and I was 28, 29 30, somewhere in, in, in that, that journey of a couple of years. Very unsure of myself, didn't really know what kind of a pastor I would be and all these kinds of things. And, and we had an individual in our church who, who had a bitter spirit. And this individual just looked at everything that I did through the worst possible lens. It was always the worst motives, the worst intents, the worst objectives, what was, was frequently you know, spoke of things that I, as though I had done something that I hadn't done, or would say that I didn't do something that I had done, and it was just really painful. It's just really painful. And, and, and there was a season in there saying, you know, God, I don't know if I want to do this. 
you know, maybe, maybe I'll go back and use that economics degree that I got in college to do something different, you know, and, and at least if it's going to be terrible, I'll get paid more, you know, I mean, that kind of idea, and at least you hope, right, you know, and, 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 and it's just, because it was just brutal, and, and, I, and I will tell you, I was struggling to forgive, and, and I really did have a moment where, where in just in my encounter with God, I, I said, you know what, God, I don't want this person to have control over how I feel. I don't want this person to have control over how I serve you. And so I, and I just, I, I made a commitment before the Lord to forgive this person and to say, I'm going to treat this person going forward the way I want to based upon my relationship with him, not based upon what she's doing to me. And, and I, I, the, the, the level of release that came from that the joy of ministry came back. Great things started happening in the church, et cetera. Probably our married life got better. I, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, but it was, it's a powerful experience to take the forgiveness that God is pouring into us and translate it into begin, beginning forgiving to others. And it, it literally just releases us from all that stuff that's behind us, and God can lead us into the future he wants for us. That's what God is offering us when he said, he says, be forgiving as I have forgiven you. You know, this is a heavy, heavy subject to process. Every, every single one of us has different journeys we've been through. And we, we, as we talked this week, we, we want to just give you a couple of minutes to process. And, and because silence is kind of hard, you know, sometimes. I mean, you just experience that for two minutes in our prayer time, right? And oh boy, we're going to show you a video, a music video related to forgiveness as we give you a chance to let some of this sink in, in the ways. To, and here are the two questions I want you to think about as we're listening to this video and, and your process and standing before God. Have, uh, here's the first question I want you to ask. Have I really been forgiven? As you sit in that chair today, and you're grateful that it's not a hard back pew that's, you know, you, it's not, as you sit there today, are you absolutely certain you've been forgiven by God? And if you haven't, make the choice today to embrace the forgiveness that God gives us in Jesus Christ. Confess our, your sin to Christ. Ask God to step into your life by placing your faith in him and commit yourself to walking with him even though you don't know exactly what that means. Ask yourself, am, have I truly been forgiving? And here's the second question I want you to ask yourself if you can say yes to the first one, is are you really being forgiving? Are you really being forgiven? Forgiving. Let's play the video. Would you pray with me? Just a moment, we're going to get a chance to sing and celebrate the God who has spoken to us. Father, you tell us honestly in your word that when we're left to our own devices, when it's just man, there's a lot of things that aren't possible, but that with you, all things are possible. We pray, Father, that you would empower us today to do the impossible, and that's to truly forgive. As we trust you for that power, set us free into the future you have for us. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?